Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jessie theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created LaJoy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as you heard, I'm Jessie. I will start off by telling you a little bit about myself. I live in Texas with my husband and my four children. We have two dogs and now, as of this year, one cat uh, named Kitty Boo. And he's behind me right now as I'm recording. Hopefully Kitty Boo won't get in the way. Um, my husband, Daniel, and I are entrepreneurs. And we are working right now on opening our third coffee shop. Um, we met on MySpace in the summer of 2004 when my husband sent me a DM. Uh, he found me because he was searching for redheads within a five-mile radius of where he lived in Austin. So <laughs> for those who don't remember, MySpace was like a... Facebook and like a dating app, like you could search for people and that's how we ended up connecting. And, you know, he sent me a message and I was a bitch. <laughs> I really was. I just sent him a nasty gram back and he was like, okay, well, you're feisty redhead. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, it just, his message was enough to make me pause and say like, oh gosh, um, I don't want to do that. You know? So I sent him a message back and we started talking and I have this whole entire conversation printed out. Don't worry. It's saved for my children to read one day and they will love it or hate it or both will hate it and they'll love it. But that's how this all started. Our anniversary is coming up this later this year and it'll be 15 years since we eloped to Las Vegas that all started from a MySpace DM. Of course, there was, nobody called it DMs back then. It was just message. I don't even know what it was on MySpace. Does anybody have a MySpace anymore? I don't even know how I would log in. <laughs> so um, that was 15 years ago that we started uh, our marriage. And since then, I have birthed four children in wild succession. I would say it was six and a half years from the first one to the fourth one. And I had two miscarriages before our first child. So if you're counting four plus two is six, I was pregnant six times in, I don't know, eight years. No, it was um, nine years. <laughs> it, it was a lot. Um, I By the last time I told my husband that I was pregnant, it was just like, again, <laughs> you know, it was a total again. You know, of course I knew, but after being pregnant that many times, I knew. And uh, I remember going down saying, okay, somebody's getting fixed. You or me, somebody, we're done. Um, so that's kind of basic of who I am. Um, I'm a business owner. I'm a mama. Uh, I'm Libra. I love coffee right now. Um, I'm into coconut milk lattes and then an Americano for my second cup. 
I turned 40 in October. Oh, see, Libra. Um, I, I started uh, writing a blog. I knew that I wanted to start a podcast, but last year we moved and we had a lot to manage, as I previously said, businesses, employees, you know, children, all that stuff of moving is a big production when our life is this big. So I knew I couldn't start a podcast in the middle of all that. So I started writing a blog in service of um, a podcast, you know, kind of dovetailed that into a podcast, which is now where we're at. And I can't tell you how excited I am. I'm, um, I can see myself as I'm recording this because normally there'd be somebody else talking and I can see myself and I can see how excited I am, you guys. Um, I'm, I've been drawn to this project for years and I couldn't even articulate it for many years, but ever since becoming a mom, I'm known that I'm a leader. That's not quite the right word. I don't know. I got things to say. I've got experience to share. I got lots of theories. Um, and I've known that this sort of space was something I was destined to do. And I can't believe I'm here and recording this. Um, I first talked to a podcast production company a year ago in December. And so that's how it's heavily been on my heart. But of course, you know, uh, uh, things like this, it had been on my heart for months before I even talked to the podcast company a year ago. So this is something where, sure, you're going to say, this doesn't sound very professional. <laughs> just, just because I've thought about it for a very long time does not mean that I'm a professional. I'm just a mom. I have a microphone. And I've got a willingness to share. So here it is. And this is the first episode. And it's going to be me. Um, I will be telling you a story about me. Um, it's a story I thought I would never tell anyone. And I'm clearly uh, have re redefined that. So before we get started, I need to talk about the names that you've heard. You've heard Prickly and Blooming, and you've heard La Joy Society. La Joy Society is the name I chose last year when I started this whole project. And it was a very easy and obvious name to pick because it was my maiden name. Um, it is French and it, La Joy means the joy. It is spelled L-A-J-O-I-E. Um, of course, you know, you could pronounce it with a French accent, like the sentence La Joy de Vie. But we Americanized it and we were just La Joy. <laughs> so that was a really easy choice to make for this project because I found my joy um, in the last few years and I'd like others to find their joy as well. And then once I started the writing and the blogging, um, a kind of subtitle quickly emerged once I developed the cactus logo. And the cactus is very personal to me as well because I live in Texas. Um, there are cactus all around our house, outside of our house, in my house. Um, I can kill a cactus like so easy. It's one of my many skills in gardening is killing everything. <laughs> So when I developed the cactus logo, this subtitle to La Joy Society of Prickly and Blooming became obvious. 
then when we started this podcast, I actually was going to call it LaJoy Society. Once we started working on the podcast, it became obvious that Prickly and Blooming actually was a really great name for the podcast. And it is a subsidiary of a greater project called LaJoy Society. So Prickly and Blooming also very much encompasses the entire focus of the show, which will be to celebrate our joy and our pain. And my metaphor for joy and pain are the thorns and the flowers that are found on cactuses. So there'll be a lot of talk about thorns and flowers and joy and pain and how it all needs to be celebrated. So this is going to be like a personal storytelling, narrative, slight interview kind of show. And I believe that we learn a tremendous amount when we show up in a deep, raw, personal way. There's going to be crying, you guys. You get your Kleenex, hit pause, take a minute if it's starting to trigger you. Um, and it won't always be someone promoting something. Like, yes, there will be women that will come on this show that will have something to promote. Um, maybe a, another podcast or a book or um, a project they work on. But that's not going to be exclusively the guests of this show. I want to talk to regular and I use, I'm using air quotes, regular moms and women who just have something to share. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in service of a book they've written or a business they've opened, but just a personal story that they know will help move another woman. So this first episode, I will be monologuing. Um, I have never been called short-winded in my life. <laughs> so this should be fine. I'm just gonna be talking about myself. I don't know how long this is gonna come out for, or in the end after they edit it, but I, I know I can pull this off. So um, here we are, and this is the first episode, and this is, this is pretty huge, and it's gonna feel even bigger at the moments that you're listening to this. Um, I will probably be hiding in my house the day that this comes out. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> At least I will have done it. It's not going to be perfect, y'all. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be a lot of ums and ums, but there there will be some editing. Um, I am not an expert. I don't have an expert opinion to share with you. I just have realness. I have authenticity. And I have a desire to share. So my gosh, here we are. Um, I'm going to start telling you my story now of how I came to be in this chair and what happened and the pain that led to my joy. So five years ago on December 31st, 2014, so that's New Year's Eve, <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, it was a night that we had a babysitter that we didn't have to pay. It was my mother. So that meant we could also stay out as long as we wanted to. Um, parents will understand this. You know, if you have a college kid watching your children, you know, you're like, oh, you commit to a time that you'll be home. But this was night. It was my mother. She was staying at our house. She was visiting um, from Massachusetts. So we had all the time we wanted to that night. And we had previously committed to some friends that were looking to have a party after New Year's. Um, because the bars closed at midnight in the town that we lived in then. And, you know, New Year's is at midnight and 
everyone wants to go to an after party. And we had a laundromat. Well, we still have a laundromat. And we committed to having a party at this laundromat. So after the bars closed, everyone, you know, knew to go to the laundromat for a dance party. There were DJs set up and I don't know, people brought booze. Um, we just said yes to having it be at our laundromat. So after we went to a couple bars, saw friends, had some drinks, we went to this party. And um, at after a certain point, I would say it was about 1230, I don't remember anything. Apparently, I drank tequila with my friend's husband, and that is not something that I do or did. I had given up tequila years ago, so if I was drinking tequila, that was a sign that things weren't going to go well. Um, I'm a bad country song when I drink tequila, um, so that was a clue. But of course, I got that clue the next day or days later. It was like, oh, you were drinking tequila. I was like, oh, didn't know that. Somebody should have stopped me. <laughs> anyway, um, after about 1230, it all just kind of went dark. Um, I don't know how long I was blocked out for. I don't know. Maybe it was 20 minutes. Maybe it was 30 minutes. Maybe it was two hours. I don't really know. Um, so we're just going to fast forward to what I do know. So what I do know, what happened next in the timeline is I awoke to an unfamiliar voice saying to me, let's get your tights off. I had had tights on underneath a really long skirt. It was December and it was cold. And I think if I remember vague memories of, I, th I think I had a button up shirt and I think that was undone. I don't really know. So when I heard let's get your tights off. It jolted me back into the moment. And I replied, you're not Daniel. And it was dark. There were no lights on. I somehow stood up and stumbled out of the room and went to find Daniel. I must have closed my shirt back up. I'm not sure. I found Daniel at the door of the laundromat trying to control the atmosphere of a party that was on, on the verge of getting out of control. And there, there were so many people, like there was so many people. Um, a high schooler had tried to start a fight with Daniel. He tried to punch him or did punch him. I don't quite remember. I do remember I said, he just tried to have sex with me. And Daniel didn't know what to do and didn't know what to say. And I was in shock and I was so confused and I didn't know what to do. I, so I went outside at that point. I went and I sat down and I just sat there again. I don't know for how long. Um, I threw up onto the ground um, and then I remember people leaving. I remember somebody said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And then Daniel and I went home. We walked home that night and, and I'm sure promptly passed out. I knew this person that I had woken up to. 
I knew who it was. Uh, he was an acquaintance in our small town. I continued to run into him at various events and places for many years. We'd see each other at the grocery store. We'd see each other at a bar. Well, I really wasn't going to bars. <laughs> We'd see each other at events around town. But nothing nothing was ever done or said, and I told no one what happened that night. I felt so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. I felt so humiliated. I was full of self-loathing because of what happened. I thought, who the fuck are you? You are 35 years old and this fucking happened. You are a fucking mother, you piece of garbage. This is what you're, this is what you're going to do as a mother. I felt that way for a very long time about that night. My husband and I talked about it a couple times in the span of uh, four years, maybe twice. It came up and I would be really mad and I would yell at him and he didn't know what to do about it. And so we really didn't do anything about it. We just considered it an unfortunate thing that had happened and let's just try to forget about it. I couldn't forget about it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't acknowledging it, but it didn't go away. It didn't get better without acknowledging it. So the next day in the shower on January 1st, 2015, I I, I don't remember much of this day either. I just remember the shower and being in the bathroom and shaking and crying and being horrified that I don't remember what happened, being mortified that something worse had happened. I don't believe that now, but I did at the time. So that day, after experiencing a horrible physical hangover and an even worse emotional hangover, I made a promise to myself. To myself, because I didn't know one. (laughs) I made a promise that I would never be drunk again. Um, it's not something that was serving my life, regardless of what had happened the night before. I didn't need to be that drunk anymore, period. I'm not fully sober now. Um, I do have the occasional glass of wine or a hard kombucha. I think they call it June, right? Those things are delicious. Um, that blueberry basil one, love those. But I did vow to be never so drunk that I lose control and black out or any any of that anymore. I was like, you're 35 years old. Fucking stop. Um, that was that was easy to say and do and execute. So like I said, I, I'm not completely sober. I might someday. Stay tuned. I, I might decide that I don't even want these occasional glasses of wine or my kombucha. Um, I don't know. Right now, I'm fine with it. I have a great relationship with alcohol and I enjoy that glass of wine once a month, twice a month. So it's okay now as far as drinking. (laughs) Um, I also, I had previously promised myself that I would take back my body after having had four babies in so many years, I wanted to lose some weight and get healthier and start an active lifestyle and not be so sedentary. Um, I didn't see the point of seesawing back and forth and kind of 
between all the pregnancies and nursing a baby. But for, I was coming up on the time that I was going to wean the last baby and it was finally going to be a time when I wasn't carrying or growing and nursing a baby for the first time in a really long time. So since that time was approaching, this me time, the physical, like physically my body was going to belong back to me and me only, um, I had to put my you know money where my mouth was with my commitment of like, okay, when this time comes, when I have my body back to myself, I'm going to start take back my body is what I called it. So that program started that day as well. So two things I set out to change. I set out to no longer drink to cope. And I set out to take back my body. Quitting drinking so much, that was easy. Um, I just decided not to do it. And I started drinking bubbly water. By the way, I should note that. This is, oh, this is also the anniversary of my um, sparkling water addiction. It's been about five years now. I have one right in front of me. I have an empty one next to it. Um, bubbly water, we like to call it. And we've shortened that even more to bub. Hey, bub, do you need a bub? It's a sentence that comes out of my or my husband's mouth at least once a day. Hey, bub, you need a bub? I got a bub, you need a bub? Always with the bubs. I'm going to stop and take a sip right now. LaCroix is my uh, brand of choice. But since we moved to a town that has an H-E-B, oh, I missed H-E-B for the many years we lived in a town without H-E-B. I will buy the H-E-B brand because of our consumption is so high. I will take the savings with the knockoff brand. But when the LaCroix is on sale, I'm back at LaCroix. So I had decided two things. Okay, let's get back to that. I decided my two things that I was going to lose some weight, exercise, and not drink so much. So there were two choices in my town. I could go to a gym or I could go to the yoga studio. I mean, sure, there was plenty of other choices. I could have started a soccer team or whatever, but it was also January. It still gets cold in Texas, just by the way. Um, uh, I could have tried to run, but I really, really don't like to run. You guys, it's not something that sets my heart on fire. I mean, it sets something on fire, but it doesn't set my heart on fire. I hate every moment of it. I might change my mind about that someday. Just stay tuned about that again. You know, six months, a year from now, I might be sober completely and running. And you will not be surprised because watch out, I change my mind about things. And that flexible mindset is so fucking important. And I hope you have one too. <laughs> so I had previously gone to gyms and I didn't, they also didn't set my heart on fire. It does for some people. And I salute you but I did find my thing that set my heart on fire and that was yoga <laughs> nerd alert I had prejudices against yoga based off that stupid 1980s song do you like pina coladas getting caught in the rain if you're not into yoga and have half a brain so I had let <laughs> that song dictate my feelings about yoga since I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, it's stupid. <laughs> Please send me an email if you also kept up prejudices about yoga based off of that stupid song. It's not a stupid song, by the way. Stupid prejudices uh, from that song. If this resonates with you, go ahead and send me a message. 
So I had committed to going to a Monday at 6 p.m. yoga class, and I did it, even though my ankle was wrapped in an ace bandage because I had fallen because I had rolled my ankle. No, I didn't roll my ankle this time. I roll my ankle a lot. I fall a lot. But this time I had actually gotten caught up in a kid toy. You know, those the ones that are in every dentist and doctor's office with the wire and the beads and you spin them all around. We had one. Everybody bought one from Ikea. Remember? You have one from Ikea too? Yeah, so do I. And it was in my kid's bedroom. And I was like changing a diaper and my foot got caught in it. And it was like a bear trap and I fell against the wall and I was in the corner of the room. So my swollen ankle didn't stop me though, you guys. I still went to yoga. My friend was there and we've talked about it since then. She said, yeah, I can't believe you went even though your ankle was wrapped in an ace bandage. And I was like, I was fucking determined. I was bound and determined to get through that class. And I did. And I kept going. I kept going and going and going. I was going three nights a week. And by the end of that year, I I could do a, a headstand. It was so cool. I still can do a headstand. Oh, I'm working on, okay, the two things I want to do with yoga, if you want to take a little sidebar here. I'd love to get to um, be able to do the splits someday and a handstand. Those are my two goals. I'm stating them here now. I don't know how long it'll take me, but I'll get there. Something else that I started as Take Back My Body mission was um, keeping a food log. I used an app and I started keeping track of, and I still do, um, of everything that I eat. <clears throat> I guess you could call it counting calories. I like to call it a food log. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but this was a practice that was really beneficial because like a lot of people, I didn't understand what, what how much I was ingesting and, you know, alcohol. Um, but by the way, if you've never kind of done this sort of thought process, there's a lot of calories in alcohol. <laughs> If you're drinking four beers a day, you're having like two meals. Just by the way, <laughs> I learned a lot about food and input and output. And I know calories in and out doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and I don't really want to talk about weight. Weight's a number. Um, but I, I'm talking about the food log because it was intentionality. I was bringing intentionality into kind of every aspect of my life. And eating was one of them. I'm, a, I'm an emotional eater. I love uh, salty things, by the way. Give me a bag of tortilla chips and I could tear that fucker up. Yeah. Put some, put it on a paper plate. I don't know why I always have to use a paper plate for this meal. Tortilla chips, cheddar cheese on a paper plate in the microwave for 40 seconds. It gets a little bubbly around the edges. I could eat that snack three times a day between every meal. Those are the the changes that I had committed to from that day forward from my, I call it the just not this moment on January 1st, 2015, when I said, I, I just can't have this anymore for my life. And I needed to make some changes. I started off with those two things. Um, it has led to so many more changes in my life. But before I talk about, you know, where, I've gone, I kind of want to back up and give you a little background of who was that woman on December 31st, 2014. You know, what was the landscape of her life at that moment? What was she doing? How did she feel? 
and what got her to that night. So I had had, you know, four babies in a very short amount of time. I was pregnant and nursing for, I think, a decade straight, you know, literally carrying a baby on my hip, in my stomach, I don't know, wherever, for a really long time. I was known as the pregnant lady around my town. Like I was just always pregnant. Um, oh, you're pregnant? Oh, you're not pregnant. Did you have a baby? How many babies do you have? I mean, people aren't sure. I have somewhere between three and 16 babies <laughs> in a lot of people's perception. I was running the businesses as well as running the household and birthing the children. You guys, it was a fucking lot. It was too much. Let's be honest. It was too much. Um, the amount of stuff on my plate was astronomical um, between you know, age 28 to 35. Um, looking back on it now, you know, in those moments where you say like, how did I do that? I was just doing what I had to do to survive. And that's what I was doing. But armed with an ability to know my limits, I would not do those years again. I would not execute them the way that I did. I would have spoke up more. I would have asked for more help. I would have accepted more help. I wouldn't have felt like I had to do it all. I was playing into that storyline that you can have it all and do it all and be it all. Um, but about 10 days before I had our third child, uh, I quit basically. <laughs> we had hired a manager and she took over one of our locations and I gave my husband the rest of my duties and that was that. So the pendulum swung the other way where I went from being completely overburdened with too much responsibility on my plate with the kids and the businesses and everything and remembering, you know, the activities after school and remembering the snacks and making sure the house was stocked and making dinner and doing all the things and also being pregnant. I was down to being a stay-at-home mom. Y'all, if that's your jam, kudos and I salute you. Um, to be a stay-at-home mom is an astronomical feat that I was also not prepared for. <laughs> it was not my jam. I think I enjoyed it for maybe the first year. Um, and then I was dying inside my house of isolation. We lived in a small town, 200 miles away from a city on top of being a mom. It, it's a stay-at-home mom. It's a turducken of isolation. Um, I mean, everyone has heard, you know, how isolating motherhood can be and then tuck that into like a tiny town, tuck that into isolated, geographically isolated tiny town. And like I said, a turducken. That's all I can explain it as. It's just many layers of isolation. So whenever I would get out of the house and when I got like a day pass or a night pass, and that sounds terrible. Um, I don't mean it that way. It's just like a good little quip. <laughs> um, when I did get out to do things and be around adults and have adult conversation. Oftentimes, you know, my husband would be with the children and I will have gone out and seen my friends and I would drink. That's all I knew what to do. I, I mean, my husband would be like, go anytime, do what you need to do. Just tell me. And I'd be like, I don't even know what to do. We also didn't have a lot of money for many years. We were really broke. So, you know, I, I felt like there was nothing else to do, but then go have a drink. And so that was all I knew how to cope I felt like I lost myself when I became a mama. You know, my identity was gray and blurry. And what did it mean to be a mom? What didn't it mean to be a mom? And so what I would do is I would revert back to 
a time that I felt joyful in. And that was, you know, being young and in my 20s. And what I did then was drink, but I was young and in my 20s then. I wasn't 35 with businesses and children. So I was trying to recreate just feelings of lightheartedness when I would drink to cope. And I didn't know that there were, you know, I, did, I just felt so isolated. I didn't know that a lot of other mamas feel this way as well. You know, there's a lot of like, oh, enjoy every minute. But when you're not enjoying every minute, it makes it feel even worse. You know, there's guilt on top of, um, you know, feelings of inadequacy. And I just didn't know what to do. I mean, there's there's no license or certification to have a child, but you need a license to fish. You know, it's a lot of times you're just kind of thrown into the water. And so I sunk for a little while. I, I did. I sunk for a little while. I didn't know what I was doing. And I ran into what I knew. So what things looked like for me at the time of about 2014 and after deciding to be more intentional and make some changes in my life for 2015, things really started to come together and they really started to um, focus and I started to lose weight and gain strength. You know, I wasn't uh, just strong in my right arm from holding a baby or your right arm or left arm mama holder. I was a right arm mama holder. And previously that was the only thing that had any muscle in my body was my arm. And yoga had brought me back uh, into strength. And that was amazing. I was drinking a ton of water. Um, I got, you know, I absolutely for years now have gotten my 64 ounces of water every day, eight glasses a day. And um, yoga also had brought me to meditation because, you know, uh, at the end of every class, you have your meditation time. And I developed a meditation practice. Um, it was sporadic. And of course, it's much more consistent now. Um, I was I was moving forward in my life and it felt good. And I finally saw that there was a new way and that new way was working. So about two years ago is when I finally took the help of talk therapy <laughs> into my life. There was one therapist in our small town, or no, maybe there was two, but there was, there was one that everybody went to and yeah, you knew who was there when their car was outside. Everybody knew where her office was. I started seeing her and what a difference um, that has been, by the way, in the last two years. But it took me about six months and, you know, those mental health professionals who might be listening to this are probably chuckling. You know, it took six months for me to get to the problem that was holding me back. And it was that little shame nugget, that little nugget of shame, that little traumatic experience that I tucked away in a box and didn't talk about and didn't tell anybody about. But the irony is, is that I completely changed the course of my life from that night, but I wasn't talking about why. You know, I was like, I'm taking back my life. I'm doing all these great things, but I'm not telling you that I was blackout drunk <laughs> on New Year's Eve and I was assaulted. I had, I, I had told one friend a euphemism for it you know I said something weird had happened and I 
was drunk and I felt really bad about it. So I was never going to be drunk. But I didn't tell her. I had told her that because I had to explain why I would stop drinking after about two drinks. So after about six months in therapy, my therapist said to me, what are you not seeing about yourself? And I was like, I don't fucking know. I'm self-aware. I'm in therapy for fuck's sake. Meditate, go to yoga, don't drink the cope anymore. Like I'm doing all the things. What the fuck do you mean? What am I not seeing about myself? And then of course the next day I emailed her. I was like, oh, I think I know what's going on here. I think I know what I need to get to. Um, unfortunately, this was her last month of service. She was moving and closing up shop. <laughs> so I had to therapy cram for that month. And then I took a break financially and emotionally. And then I found another therapist. And then I started seeing another therapist and we did EMDR. And if you are considering EMDR as um, something to bring into your life, I highly recommend it. Um, it really moved and shifted this for me. I don't think I would be sitting here talking to this microphone about what happened to me if I hadn't participated in EMDR sessions. Um, I can't I can't recommend therapy enough for everyone, for anyone. <laughs> Dip in there, get some of the good stuff and get to the bad stuff. Um, a friend and I had a conversation one time uh, about, I wish the first question that everybody could answer and therapist could say <laughs> right when you walk in is, what's the thing you think you're not gonna tell me? And that's where you start because like it took six months to get there. You know, what's the thing that you know that you think you don't need to tell anyone? Because I promise you, that's where the work needs to be done. <laughs> so I, you know, I couldn't be this phoenix of like, yay, look at me rise. Oh, no, there was no fire. No, oh, there's no fire. There was nothing burning. Like I had to acknowledge the fucking fire before I could phoenix out of it. I mean, it's just basic stuff. It's basic awareness. It's basic acceptance. And now here we are. And here I am and I've come full circle and I'm, I'm taking back the story. I, I've put down the shame and blame about it. Like I'm broadcasting the story, you guys. And I'm, I'm doing so hoping that I can help other mamas out there who are suffering. And we have to talk about this stuff. You know, it sucked. I, I regret absolutely that it happened. I, regret that I got so drunk. But the thing I regret the most is suffering alone in it for four years. Needlessly. You know, the, the grip of shame was so strong. I couldn't even acknowledge what had happened to myself until my therapist said, what are you not seeing? And I will, I will share the story. And even if it's just one woman who hears it and i let her know she's not alone. It's so worth it. So I'm a crier, <laughs> like I said, and I proved it to you. And we're not going to be scared of that. You guys are crying is release. <laughs> it's not a weakness. So here we are to share the stories that can help change the lives of others. I, uh, I went first and there will be more behind me. And the stories might be about death. They might be about divorce. They might be about getting fired. They might be about getting sober. All that good, juicy stuff that produces change in our lives. You know, I especially love that I chose the name LaJoy because through this process of, of taking back my life from the darkness that was kind of 
overshadowing everything is I was able to find my joy again. I was able to smile and be present and show up for myself. And then I was able to show up for my family in ways that I'd wanted to. But if I hadn't gotten off the cycle of taking care of everyone else before I took care of myself, I wouldn't be sitting here if I hadn't made myself a priority. And I only made myself a priority because, you know, I was the lowest I'd felt and I knew there was nowhere to go but up and start to take care of myself. And, you know, I started physically first and then it turned into, you know, um, emotionally after that and, you know, all the other other ways. So I hope that you found this useful. Um, I hope that you'll tune in again and hear what other tales there are to know. Um, the show will be released weekly on Wednesdays because I feel like there's not a lot of releases on Wednesdays. I have social media accounts. Um, they are all named LaJoy Society, so you can find me there. You can email me. Uh, I'm LaJoySociety at gmail.com. I'd love for you to share this with your friends. Um, if you know you have a friend who has a story similar or you would benefit from hearing a mom talk about the shitty things, send it to her. Um, you know, the usual of rate, review, subscribe, all that. Um, I'm serious. I'm here for this. We're going to build something. And if you're listening to this in January of 2020 in, or February, because this might not come out to January 20th, um, you were here from the beginning and you've seen this grow from its infancy. And I think it's going to be something that is really helpful to women. And let's see what else to tune in next week. So I'll wrap up by saying embrace your thorns and keep growing your flowers. Stay prickly and blooming. Everything up to this point has led me here and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense have felt so wrong and out of place now seem to fit perfectly to tell a story that was meant to be. Choices made, cards left on tables and cards played